You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Everyone's talking Luther these days, and the stories we tell show the world about ourselves as much as they do about that Augustinian monk from half a millennium ago. Is Luther our great champion of conscience, the forerunner of modern secularism, the father of modern mass literacy, the guy who gave us Donald Trump? There's something to each of these, some more than others, and this week on the Christian Humanist Profiles, we're going to hear from Andrea Grosso Ciponte and Dacia Palmarino about the recent graphic biography of Martin Luther, Renegade. This episode is going to be a little bit different from most. At their request, we let the artists record the answers to my written questions ahead of time, so my speaking the questions happened several days after their answering the questions. Now, normally I prefer an interview with the promise of conversation, but I do try to respect the wishes of those whom I interview, so please enjoy this unconventional talk about Renegade, Martin Luther, the graphic biography. I'll be thinking about this the whole interview if I don't find out early, so here it goes. How do two Italian artists come to set a graphic biography of Martin Luther before the world? What's your connection to the Continental Reformation? Everything was born from a series of circumstances. My work as a painter led me to collaborate with a Frankfurt gallery. So I started a project with Edition Fausto from Frankfurt for a series of graphic novels which adapted literature classic with the collaboration of Dacia Palmerino. When the Essen and Nassau Evangelical Church proposed to create a graphic novel on Martin Luther, the publisher invited us and other authors to present some test pages. And then they chose us. We realized the difficulties and limitations involved with an historical and religious theme with the graphic novel, but we tried to find a balance between the disclosure aspect requested us and the narrative aspect that is of the medium. Despite the religious commission, it was clear from the beginning that it was not intended to mythologize the character, but to expose, as far as possible, the established historical facts, and we think that it's important to make it accessible to a non-believing audience as well. Luther's is always going to be a story that begins in medias res, and what comes just before Luther is going to tell a reader what kind of story we're telling. In the case of Renegade, we start not with the popular devotion movement or Desiderius Erasmus, but with witch trials and leprosy. In this graphic biography, what kind of world does Martin Luther enter? The purpose of this work was to describe Luther not only as a religious, uh, as a revolutionary and uh, a reformer, but also as a man tormented by profound psychological and spiritual dilemmas. For this reason, it was necessary to contextualize his figure. Born and raised in medieval Germany, that was consumed by pestilence, public uh, execution, inquisition, fear of divine judgment, and the indulgence made by the Catholic Church. Luther's family as well was suffocating him, and he contributed to infuse the feeling of guilt and inadequacy that had been accompanying Luther for all his lifetime. So that's why the choice was to follow Luther's life since his childhood. In his most salient moment, believing that his years of formation are indispensable to the reader to understand his human evolution. 
One of those striking passages in Renegade, visually, happens when the young monk Martin Luther visits Rome. What kinds of artistic echoes, aims, and other interesting realities are swirling around as Luther visits this cradle of Christianity? In Italy, it was surely a period of great artistic ferment. Pope Julius II had called Rome the best artists from all over Italy, commissioning to them great works. Just in the year of Luther's visit, Michelangelo was finishing the fresco of the Cappella Sistina. The architectural landscape was very different from the one we know today. The Basilica di San Pietro still lacked the famous dome, which would be built some years later with the proceeds of the sales of indulgences. Other symbols of the actual Rome would have been made in the following century. It was therefore a fascinating research that we could not underline as Italian artists. Unless I missed it, the famous Diet of Worms line, Here I Stand, a verbal icon of sorts among Protestants, never enters the text of this graphic biography. What sorts of conversations were involved in that omission, or did I just miss it when it went by? Pervious field of narrative fiction on a character with many legends like Luther. I try to be historically accurate. Working under the supervision of uh, Dr. Herbert Pausch and Dr. Jeffrey Myers. Luther's words during the Worms Diet, our most acclaimed uh, source report, were sorry, I have to read it. Unless I'm convinced by scripture and play reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. The famous sentence, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Therefore, seems to be a simplification of what Luther really said. And it's fair to think that it passes on to history as more as a catchphrase. So I prefer for narrative needs the most extended and historically proved form. I didn't notice until the sequence in which Martin Luther's German Bible is going out into the world, but one full-page frame is clearly a version of Caravaggio's Calling of St. Matthew. So humor your interviewer, who obviously didn't study hard enough in art history class. What other famous images find echoes in this volume? Essential to the reform iconography, was Cranach the Elder, a painter who was a friend of Luther. It was an obligation for me to confront his portraits in giving a form to the character, and I wanted to pay tribute to him, trying to imagine him in the studio while portraying Luther. So, I had fun in drawing other, more or less, explicit quotes from the art history, as I often do in my work. Along with Cranach, I had necessarily to quote Euronius Bosch, who represented the anxieties of the time. Other citations, however, do not have a direct temporal correlation, as in the case of Caravaggio, but they are used to give strength to the images. For example, the recession in the night when Wartburg, and I thought Pollock when Luther realized the famous Inkstein. One feature of this graphic novel that I will commend is that Luther's more horrifying moments are a part of his story just as much as his defiant, heroic moments. When Luther writes his famous letter to the princes in the wake of the Peasants' War, you put the pen in his hands and the dead at his feet. And then in his old age, you do not shy away from his anti-Jewish writings, 
horrific as they are 400 years later. So how does Luther's career as renegade relate to these moments of standing with the powerful against the downtrodden? Uh, it was really hard to relate uh, to the theories and invective that characterize uh, the last part of Luther's life without falling into an exposed moral judgment. No matter how cruel his statements were against foreigners, Jewish and women, however, I had to keep in mind that Luther was a, a man, a religious, a fervent man uh, of the Middle Age. He was a revolutionary in many respects and a reactionary and traditionalist in many others. It was not possible to separate the two sides if you were able to speak honestly about Luther. In a modern perspective, uh, standing with the prince and repression during the Peasant War, it was equally questionable. We need considering that it's equally impossible not to realize that everything added up to its definitive mission, namely the division of Germany by the Pope and Rome. In the final pages of Luther's life, Renegade relates a sequence that's reminiscent of the Middle English poem Pearl. Luther's daughter from beyond the grave leads him in a dream towards heavenly joy. What are the biographical sources for this and to what extent are Pearl and Dante's Commedia in the background here? A big part of Luther's life has been left out from peasant war onwards. Uh, the only family member except uh, Caterina von Bora, Luther's wife, to which I decided to give more space is Magdalena. Her premature death was a thought that tormented Ludo's life for all his lifetime, and their encounter in Ever, rather than the literary reference you mentioned before, was suggested to me by a letter that Luther himself wrote to theologian Justus Jonas, in which he prays for Madalena is happily rejoining with Father God, who in the dream of death becomes his biological father, Luther. In that sequence, the epitaph that Luther himself wrote to Magdalena uh, was reissued. I've been at the wheel for most of this conversation, so in the spirit of hospitality, I want you to have the last word. What do you want our listeners thinking about Luther, graphic novels, the Reformation, or anything else as we head toward the door? Well, we hope that the readers will appreciate this hybrid attempt between divulging and artistic interpretation. As the first feedbacks are confirming us, it was not easy to reconcile the great amount of information entered with the desire to maintain a smooth reading, taking care of all the details in the tight editorial times. But it was a passionate work and we believe that it will come to pass. Andrea Grosso Cipante, Dacia Palmerino, Thank you for coming on Christian Humanist Profiles. Thank you listeners for uh, tuning in to this unusual kind of interview. Christian Humanist Profiles is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our audio editor is Britt Stack. And I am Nathan Gilmore saying, go in grace, go in peace, serve the Lord.